This morning, we are going to continue in our series from James, James chapter 3. So I invite you to get out your Bible and turn to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And once you have found it, if you are able, I'd like to invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us who make, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of God. You can be seated. I know that we have been filled already today with worship and prayer and Dominic's baptism, but but I ask that you give me just a few minutes on this passage from which I'll preach from the title, Speaking and Changing Lives. Speaking and Changing Lives. This week I finished uh, what was to me a pretty interesting book by the climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe called Saving Us. Now I was expecting the author in this book to talk about the personal and political changes that are needed to address climate change. And there there were plenty of those suggestions in the book. But what surprised me was how much time she spent on how to talk with friends and neighbors who are either completely uninterested in climate change or who are totally overwhelmed by it. Dr. Hayhoe is convinced 
that we can thoughtfully use our words to help more people understand the importance of climate change and the many ways that each of us can be a part of the solution. Looking at this passage from James, perhaps it's not surprising to learn that the author of this book is herself a Christian. After all, she understands the power of our words to literally change the world. Now, to illustrate this power, James uses a few different word pictures. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder guiding a ship, a spark which consumes an entire forest, salt water spoiling a fresh spring. Using these images, James warned the church about the destructive potential of their words. Earlier this week, Maggie and I were were talking in the kitchen and, and she was telling me about a conversation she'd recently had with a friend. And she shared some discouraging things that this friend had been experiencing. And and I immediately noticed how my own body was reacting. Maggie's words about her friend's words were impacting me. That's the power of our words. Philosophers have an entire uh, study, uh, an entire field of study called speech act theory, which argues that our words don't simply describe reality, our words can change reality. Most of the time, though, we aren't conscious of the impact that our words have on reality on our lives, on the lives of people around us. We're not, we're not aware of that power most of the time. And this is where James can help us. Your words have the power to change lives. I think that's what James wanted these young Christians to understand. And it's what we need to grasp as well. In our world today, we are drowning in coarse and cheap speech. But followers of Jesus are called to use our words differently. Your words have the power to change lives. In this passage, we find at least Three characteristics of our words. Three characteristics which make them so powerful. First, our words have an outsized impact. Second, our words are susceptible to sin. And finally, our words can be aligned with God's will. Let's take the first. Your words have the power to change lives because words have outsized impact. James begins with three analogies. There's the horse with a bit in its mouth. There's the ship guided by a rudder. And there's the forest fire that was started by just a small spark. Now, these images would have been very familiar 
to the church that James was writing to. After all, a ship and a horse were the main modes of transportation for most of these people. But each of these is different. They're they're, they're not immediately similar, except for one thing they have in common, which is that, though small, a bit, a spark, though small, a rudder, there is great power that is held by each of them. Back in high school, uh, we lived in Southern California, and and one day my, my, my uh, basketball coach was was mowing uh, his lawn in a riding lawn mower, and the area that we lived was was almost desert like and and, and and his blade and on his lawn mower nicked a, a rock and he wasn 't even aware of it and it created a little spark and that was all that it took to start a little fire and then a bigger fire until all of a sudden there was a a massive brush fire that we were watching on the news. This is the the image that James gives to us, something so tiny that can have such a dramatic impact. In verse 5, James says that, that the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. It's the same Greek word, small and great. The, the word is, is about uh, how, how noticeable the size is, whether how noticeably small or how noticeably large. This is a small thing that makes a great impact. This is one of the reasons why your words can change lives, because though small, they have a disproportionate impact on those around you. I was listening to the radio this week, and and I stumbled onto an interview with Tarana Burke, who who some of you will know as the founder of the Me Too movement. And and she has a new book out right now called Unbound. And, And at one point in the interview, she was reflecting about 20 years earlier when she was doing some work down in, in Selma, Alabama at a, at a children's camp. And, and she was describing this one-on-one conversation that she was having with this young woman who was confiding this very vulnerable part of her story to Tarana. But because Tarana hadn't yet processed some of her own trauma around that, she, she, she responded in a way that, that pushed this young girl away. And she was reflecting how for 20 years, the image of that young woman's face is is, is seared into her memory of her walking away. And she said that that, that she has some friends who said, you you need to let that go. Don't don't make too much of that. She might not even remember that moment, but but I think we all understand that feeling. We understand the, the, the feeling and the memory of the ways that words can be used. And have such a powerful influence in somebody's life. The passage begins uh, with James addressing teachers and preachers. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now this is not the point of the message this morning. But I want to just parenthetically pause here for a second. And remind those of us in this room who preach and teach... That we have been given a great trust. We whose vocation operates primarily with words have been placed in positions of significant power. 
Whether we like to reckon with that, admit that, or not. What is the goal of Christian teaching and preaching? It is not to sound sophisticated. It is not to demonstrate our own knowledge of Scripture. The the point of Christian teaching and preaching is always and only to point to Jesus. Is always and only to lift up Jesus. Is always and only to make Jesus known. Somebody say amen. So I want to simply say to new communities, preachers and teachers, including our new small group leaders, as our Bible study starts on Wednesday, make much of Jesus. Use your words to point us to Jesus, to testify to Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus. Friends, do not underestimate the power of your words. How they are used in your classroom, with your children, with that friend who's in a vulnerable place in your marriage. Do not underestimate the outsized, the disproportionate nature of our words. They have the power to change lives. Secondly, your words have the power to change lives because they are susceptible to sin. If the first point that I made is simply acknowledging the power of words, here we have to acknowledge that James' primary argument in this passage is that this power can easily be used destructively. James's main emphasis in these verses is to remind us of our common tendency to use our words in a way that harm others. Behind our words, James says, there is an unrighteousness. There is sin. This is not a neutral situation we find ourselves when we are thinking about our words. It is not as though we we have before us two equal and obviously doable choices. We wouldn't be talking about our words if that was the case. That there is a natural bend in our hearts to use our words destructively, to use our words thoughtlessly, to use our words selflessly. It is not enough for us to say about our words that we need to do better. Because we are naturally prone to harming others with our words. And if you don't believe me, think for a moment about how you use your words when you are tired. About how you use your words when you are angry. When you are hungry. When you are scared. Think about how you use your words when you are embarrassed or ashamed. Because it's not how we use our words when we are at our best, which reveals the natural inclination of our heart. It is how we use our words when the bottom falls out, which reveals the assumptions and the dispositions behind our words. We need to admit and acknowledge that our words are susceptible, are vulnerable to sin, to harming others, to harming ourselves. And I wonder how that makes you feel. Last Sunday, if you were here or if you were online, we 
said that our actions can serve as a mirror to our faith. That we can hold up our actions and we can see the the nature of our faith, where our faith has been placed. And, And I will suggest to you that it's the same with our words. That how we use our words says something about our faith. And if we are honest, our words very often reveal an unrighteousness, a sinfulness. And for me at least, I can get discouraged when faced with that level of just blunt truth. And so I want to pause for a minute and think about somebody else's words. I want to pause for a moment and remember together the one whose words did not reveal sin and unrighteousness, but whose sins revealed justice and love. Can we just take a minute and remember together the one whose words healed the leper? Be made clean. Remember the one who restored the man with a withered body when he said, stretch out your hand. When we start to feel discouraged about what's behind our own words, consider for a moment the the, the one whose words upended the enemy-making regime and laid down for us a foundation of love when he said, love your enemies. And do to others as you would have them do to you. Remember the one who raised a widow's dead son with his words. Young man, I say to you, rise. Remember the one who who elevated and dignified the woman known by her community as a sinner. With his words, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We could go on, couldn't we? With Jesus' words. We could go on about how his words of life pushed back death and sin and the devil. How his words of love called us from the shadows of unrighteousness and shame and guilt. And into the glorious light of our creator. And what about his words, which when piled together, turned into parables? Those imaginative stories which opened up new vistas of possibility as God's kingdom came near. Stories which brought closer the reality of salvation and justice. Words turned into stories which revealed the empire's ultimate weakness and the true power reserved by Israel's gods for the good of his people. Stories which spoke to to tired people and to hungry people and to naked people. Stories which spoke to the sinners and to the sinned against and welcomed them into the king's banquet where the table was piled high with mercy and forgiveness and grace. When you're starting to feel discouraged about what your words reveal about your heart, remember the one who with a word stilled the storm, who with a word fed the thousands, who with a word sent his 
followers in the power of his spirit proclaiming salvation. Who with a word cast out the powers of evil. It is, it is our susceptibility, our vulnerability to sin, which gives so much destructive power to our words. So look instead to the one whose righteous word always brings life. Look to the one whose final words, spoken between gaffs from a tree, open to us the, the way of salvation and life. Father... Forgive them. While your words and mine are susceptible to sin, while too often we use our words to speak sin into the world, with those few and frail words, our Savior traded all of our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Traded all of our sin For his sinlessness. I hope I'm preaching to two or three people today. Traded all of our susceptibility. For his eternal security. Thanks be to God. So do not trust in your words. But in his. Finally. Finally your words have the power to change lives. Because they can be aligned with God's will. James writes in verse 9 that with our words we bless the Lord and Father and with our tongue we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. James is here coming back to a common theme of living integrated holistic lives. Earlier it was about listening and doing. Last week it was about faith and actions. And here now he says, let your words bless And not curse. What does it mean to use your words to curse? James reminds us that every person around you, every person on this planet has been created in the image of God. Bears the image of God. That to use our words in any way that would demean or diminish the image of God in anybody is to curse them, is to use your words not to bless, but to curse. And Pastor Michelle, I was coming up with a long list of examples of how we curse people with our words. And then I said, I don't think we need any examples of that. (laughs) Brian, I think all of us right now in our heads got a long list of examples of how we use our words not to bless it's a curse. The flip side of this coin, the good news is that we don't have to use our words to curse. That we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bless those who are around us. Sisters and brothers, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer captive to your words. Even when somebody cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> Even when that coworker shows up again, even when that email with that news comes, you are not captive to your words. In Jesus Christ, we can choose to align our words with God's will. We can choose to align our words with God's heart. 
In the same way that our listening can lead to doing and our faith can lead to actions, our words can lead to blessing and not cursing. I want want you to remember here that, that the first thing we saw is that our words have great power because they have outsized impact. That a small thing can have great power. In other words, how we use our words to bless does not have to be extravagant. Does not have to be a big strategic plan that you put together. Uh, Kids, let me have your attention for just a second. Uh, Kids, let let, let me have your attention just for a second. Kezia, you with me? You with me, Kezia? Okay. Let me prove to you that, that your words can be lined up with God's heart and that it doesn't take very much. Kids, try, try this this week. Walk up to your grandmother, your, your father, your mother. Walk up to them and just say, let's say it was to your mom. And just say, Mom, I want to just say thank you for all you do for our family. And then wash her face. Walk up to your dad. If your, if your dad goes to work every day, say, Dad, thank you for going to work every day for our family. And just watch his face. Some of them are going to, they're going to get little, they're going to go like this. They're going to fall to the floor. They're going to need a minute. Because, why? Your words have blessed them. Your words have spoken life to them. Your words have spoken love into their hearts. And you can see in their body that they're not just listening to what you're saying, but that your words have actually changed something for them. And they're going to go through the rest of the day thinking about that one little thing you said to them. And they might even take out their phone and text their friends and say, you won't believe and I feel so good. And isn't that amazing? We don't have to overthink this, friends. The outsized nature of our words means that we can simply and rather easily align our words with God's will in order to bless others. Choose to align your words with God's will this week. Try it. What is God's will? God's will is always good. So speak goodness into somebody's life this week. God's will is always loving. So speak love over somebody's life this week. God's will is always holy, so speak holiness over your spouse this week. God's will is always righteous, so speak justice into somebody's life this week. God's will is always long-suffering, so maybe somebody in your life needs you to speak patience over their life this week. God's will is peacemaking. So you can speak shalom into somebody's life. God's will is always restorative. So you can speak Sabbath into somebody's life this week. The outsized 
power of our mouths and our words combined with our vulnerability to sin means that our words have potential to light fires beyond our control. But align your words with God's will and watch the power shift. Watch the power shift from cursing to blessing, from death to life. From harming to healing, from condemning to pointing the way of salvation. Now, in just a moment, Pastor Michelle and I are going to invite you forward to receive Christ's body and blood. We will remember again his death and his resurrection. In a couple of minutes, you will hear again the universe-shaking words, This is my body that is for you. This cup is the covenant in my blood. Let me ask this morning that you would let these simple words remind you of the power of your own words. Receive your Savior's death and resurrection And be convinced again that though we are vulnerable to it, our Lord has risen victoriously over sin. Amen? Watch Jesus align his life with his Father's heart. Not my will, but yours be done. And ask that the Holy Spirit would do the same for you and your. Zach, can you come up and play for us as we move into communion? Now, before Pastor Michelle and I lead us, I want to give us just about two minutes in quiet and and prayerful reflection. I'd like us to use this time, whether you are, are online this morning or here at Kennecott, to simply ask that God would give you life giving, life changing. Life blessing speech. That the Spirit, when in a very practical way, would show you how you can align your words with God's will in order to bless others. If you're not a Christian this morning, again, either online or here in person, maybe use this gift of a couple of quiet minutes. Simply ask that God would speak to you. To speak his truth into your life. To allow his life-giving and saving words to grow deeper in you today.